Hey, Hungry Homies, today's episode of House of Carbs on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. World Central Kitchen is the not-for-profit, non-governmental organization devoted to providing meals in the wake of natural disasters. Founded in 2010 by DC's own Chef Jose Andres, the whole point is to solve the problem of hunger immediately following a disaster. We are in the middle of a disaster, and the WCK relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. They are now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and Los Angeles, right here in Washington, D.C. They're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh, hot meals to hospitals and clinics, fighting on the front lines while keeping local restaurants in business as well with subsidies and grants they're working on. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us, and you can help keep your local restaurants alive. Go to theringer.com slash WCK to donate. The Ringer, in a collaboration with World Central Kitchen, we're trying to raise $250,000. If you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money's going directly to World Central Kitchen. It's a charitable donation. Once again, that's theringer.com slash WCK. All right, my taste buds, my hungry homies, my culinary comrades, welcome back to another delicious edition of House of Carbs, the food podcast for the hungry people by the hungry people. I am your hungry host, Joe House, and we are on the Ringer Podcast Network. My taste buds, we have an old pal on this week, Brett Martin from GQ. He is the chief food critic for GQ and a correspondent for them. He traveled around the United States in the fall and early part of 2019-2020 with an effort to provide us, the Hungry Homies, with the best new restaurants in America, 93 restaurants in 23 cities. And between the time that he finished those travels and today, the pandemic hit. And so... What we were expecting to be an annual celebration of these great new restaurants ended up being a little more of an involved and deeper kind of conversation as you would expect. But let me tell you, Taste Buds, you have to go check out the story, America's Best New Restaurants 2020. It's in GQ right now. And listen to the conversation. It's a it's a really nice a uh, way to spend some time and luxuriate in that restaurant life that we had in just just 60 days ago and that we will have again before we know it. Let's get in that belly with my homie, Brett Martin. All right, my 
Taste Buds on the line. We are very fortunate to have an old pal of the show, Brett Martin. He is the correspondent and chief food critic for GQ Magazine, amongst other accolades. Brett, how you doing? I'm doing okay. How you doing? Doing okay. That's that's the only way to, to sort of talk about our status in life at the moment. I wanted... So we're we're convened here on the occasion of GQ's um, having published this week the 2020 iteration, uh, the best new restaurants in America. That is your gig. You've been doing it for a while now. But like to set the stage, I want to um, start with you. So what part of the country are you in? Uh, I'm in I'm in New Orleans. I'm home, New Orleans, Louisiana, with my family. Uh, we're all healthy and and hanging tight. And I've been here more or less since I got off the road, which was right at the beginning of, of everything that's happening now. So I was traveling almost right up until the beginning of, of March. So in terms of what's happening on the ground with restaurants and food in New Orleans, what are you seeing? Are you, are you, are there uh, are places doing the takeout and and delivery thing? Are places just temp- temporarily shut down? What what are you seeing? I mean, it's all across the board. I, I have to say that I, there's been much more of the takeout delivery than I ever expected when this began. A lot of places are doing it uh, more and more now as the weeks go by. I think you know as as uh, as it starts to look like. Well, there's all kinds of different things going on. We closed pretty early here uh, because of Mardi Gras. There was a pretty early spike in the disease here, which I think may, it was pretty rough for a little while, but it sort of got us a little bit ahead. Uh, and we've got a pretty good governor who was on top of it. So so stuff closed here pretty early. Um, and we've had a lot of weeks for restaurants to kind of sort themselves out. There's a lot of takeout. There's a lot of delivery. A lot of places that have stayed closed. Not a lot of permanent closings yet, but you know, unfortunately, I get the feeling that that uh, those days are are starting to come. And then everybody's kind of figuring out what this next step is going to be. Uh, you know, the South has been opening up a lot more aggressively than Louisiana, but you know, sooner or later, there's going to be a lot of decisions to be made over here. Right. So that that's the backdrop, and I, uh, you know, the same is going on here in Washington D.C. And a, uh, it, it's an interesting kind of uh, uh, array of, of restaurants here that have chosen to attempt to do takeout and, and delivery, and it hits everything. It's it's the sort of higher end uh, tasting menu places that have uh, modified and, and adapted, all the way down to my trusted, tried and true, you know, comfort places that already had like a pretty strong standing with uh, the delivery options. But the backdrop to me, and the reason I asked about what's happening in New Orleans, is interesting because I wanted to get into the decision that you and GQ went through, the kind of the process to go ahead and publish this piece in the first week of May of 2020 with, you know, sort of the past two months in our rearview mirror of everything being different now. Yeah, it's a weird one. Uh, it was a really, uh, it was a really strange time. We, I had finished writing this thing. You know, I'd come home, I'd written it. Uh, certainly, like we knew, this had been going on. You know, sort of in the background uh, throughout all my travels. And then, if you remember, it's almost, it's almost 
hard to remember now how quickly everything happened. Um, you know, I was at dinner one night, the night that the NBA shut down and Tom Hanks got sick. I mean, I went, we hadn't looked at my, I hadn't looked at my phone and for, for half the meal, I went to the bathroom and turned on the phone and, you know, all of a sudden we were just shot out of a cannon. So that was the moment um, that we were faced with this decision. You know, we're a print, people forget how print works. Print is six, seven weeks in advance. We were faced with this question of, you know, having absolutely no idea what, what it was going to look like in, in May, not really knowing what it was going to look like the next day at that point. So the option was to pull the plug um, or to think hard about what, what it would mean you know, no matter what, what the actual events on the ground were. And, and, and ultimately I believe that, uh, and I, and I, I think I was right. I like to think I was right, although it's still not a hundred percent. I still feel a little queasy about it. I believe that, that these places deserve being celebrated. Well, first of all, I believe that, that people would want to read about social spaces and being out and, and dining out and restaurants and the creativity and diversity and, and sort of, you know, a pleasure of being out. Um, I thought uh, that no matter what became of these individual restaurants, that um, they deserved their moment. They had done amazing work. They'd fed me, they'd fed all these people and, you know, and, and deserved celebration. And that I, I thought that, you know, the way that you read about uh, live music or you read about dance or you read about, you know, art that you've never seen, that it could still have some value and, and bring some pleasure uh, to a reader, you know, even if for the moment we couldn't actually taste what I was writing about. Um, what I didn't expect was, was that there would be in one day last week, I mean, this is sort of an incredible thing that, you know, looking at back, what feels like a year that the same day last year, last week, I found out that the first of these restaurants had closed permanently and the first was planning to reopen. And, and if you'd asked me, which I'd be more freaked out about at the time, you know, it would have been the closing, but I mean, they're both just such a strange thing to be happening right now. Yeah. I, and I want to hear about the restaurants that, that are going through that, the reopening and, and the closing, but I wanted to just kind of validate the thought process. And I'm just speaking from my own perspective. It was a wonderful half hour to read the piece for, for me, for my own, me personally. And the reason it took a half hour is because I luxuriated in it. I mean, the transportive aspects of it, the, the photographs, the pictures. And it is a weird phenomena to be time-wise. It, it was like only, it hasn't even been 60 days since the last time I was in a restaurant. I was in a restaurant in March the, March the 15th, I think. So we're not, it hasn't been a full two months yet. And yet the colors... The, the smells, the experience of it. Maybe this is a survival instinct for me, but you know, that, that part of, of my brain is in a different place now. I've kind of uh, shuffled it off. I'm very happy to be taken on this tour of, of, of the country. Have you been getting that kind of feedback? Yeah, a, a little. That's the nicest way I've heard it put. And, and frankly, it's what we hope for. And, and I'm really grateful to hear you say that. Um, I, I think that what, this has taught us is that, um, or it's made very clear that, you know, restaurants aren't just food. They are, they're, you know, places where we, we have all those other sensory inputs that you just talked about, you know, and that, and that it is, it is weird how quickly it feels so far away, you know, I mean, it just takes a few weeks of not being in them. I mean, it, you know, with 
for it to to strike people as powerfully as what you just said. I, I know I feel that way. Um, and uh, and yeah, I think the feedback has been really good. I have to be honest, I was queasy about it. I, I expected some to get beat up a little bit. I sort of knew it would be a little awkward, but uh, but the the response has been has been really nice uh, and 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 very much along the lines of what you're saying. So so that makes me happy. And I and I think that uh, I hope it's it's felt good to the restaurants and not just like poking them in the eye to get something when they can't really benefit from it. You know, what well, is like an especially weird moment to have the brakes applied the way they have been in view of something that you observe in the story at the very outset as you sort of kind of set this up, which is the, the, the you call it the gastronomic multiverse of scene style influences and aesthetics. And that, that to me is like one of the most apt ways of describing the restaurant moment. You know, all, all, my experiences are, are just Washington, New York, Los Angeles, because that's where kind of my my life has me going around occasionally down to Florida. But, you know, at, at year over year, the diversity of options and innovation and just like the ultimate freedom, which is I, I, I don't want to jump into cliches, but I, I'm really good at them. Um, the freedom of, of the chefs, the creativity of the chefs in this this moment to just sort of take their micro cuisines and just do it and see if people will like it. So you have like the experience you had at, at um, I'm going to mispronounce so many names, Nari in San Francisco and, and here in my own backyard, Hanuma, the Laotian uh, place. These are efforts at serving food to people that are performative because of, you know, the, the, the way they're sort of pulled together, but like not performative at all. Cause it's, it's just the food that the chefs have in mind that they want to, you know, sh- share with folks. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I mean, I, 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 what I hear you saying is, is what I feel, which is that it, it, this is, you know, I was aware of how lucky we've been already, but I, I don't know that I was as aware as, uh, as I am now of what a, privilege it's been to live through this. And for me, you know, to have this ridiculous job of actually being paid to go out and sample it, you know, to live through this moment in which, yeah, you, you know, you're, you, you somebody thinks, Oh, I mean, I, you know, to, to, to use Hanuman in, in DC, you know, it's, it's a tiny little bar serving incredible Laotian food. And to think that, you know, it's a mother and son could open that place and have faith that there's an audience for that. Not only an audience, but that there's going to be people lining up out the door for that. And that, you know, um, and that as an eater on any given night, you could choose between that and, and a tasting menu and a, and a, and a hand roll sushi tasting menu and a, and, you know, a hummus. And I don't know, you know, the, the range and quality of what we've had, um, and and I like to try to keep that in the present tense. What we had certainly has just been terrific. It's, if nothing else, it's a great moment to kind of be grateful for that. And again, that's what I was hoping to to celebrate in this piece. I think it's going to be really hard for a lot of people who do this for a living for a long time to come back. But I also think it's going to be in in weird and interesting shapes. And you know, I, I have no clue which ones what things are going to look like and what's going to survive and what's not. But I, I think that we, it was easy to make fun of in some ways, foodieism and foodies and, you know, all the 
the dumb stuff about food being trendy and, and hip and, and cool, but look what it gave us to eat. You know, that, that was sort of my point in this piece. The multitude of options. So you did 93 restaurants in 23 cities. You took your list. The list has 16 restaurants that you write about, but you go through at the outset, a whole series of shout outs where you, you give a yell to a whole nother 15 to 20 different restaurants. And so basically like a third of all the places that you visited across the United States were worthy of getting some kind of uh, treatment in print because of, you know, the, the unique thing that, that they're doing. And in fact, I mean, my editor fought, we fought over the, there were two other paragraphs of shout outs that just couldn't make it because it was getting ridiculous at that point. So it's, 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 it's a lot. <laughs> right. Right. So that's the kind of the point, how lucky we are. And I wanted to pick up on, you know, another kind of theme in, in the story. We're going to get to some of these restaurants because I, I just need to hear more about some of these dishes in this setting. But the other kind of theme here is, you know, this this idea of um, the death of the white linen tablecloth high-end kind of experience and what it's been replaced by, which is elevated experiences driven by something that will persist, which is the, the celebration, the, the, the occasion of, you know, getting together that restauranting, that word that you use in the story isn't going anywhere. We still are going to want to get together. We're social animals, us human beings. We want to be together and we, there's nothing more elemental than being together and eating together. So that's, going to persist. Who knows what form or fashion to, to the point you just made that will, uh, what that will look like in 30 days or 60 days or by the end of the year, but we're going to keep doing it. And so as long as the people that are doing these restaurants and doing this cooking still want to do it, then those opportunities could be there when we're, when we're through all this. Do you agree? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't want to romanticize. I mean, there's real things that need to happen and that should be happening. And I'm, it's not really my specialty to, to know, you know, to have followed all the relief programs and, and loans and things like that. But, you know, there's, there's definitely, there are, there are groups out there, you know, who are, who have very specific policy needs and, and, you know, demands to, you know, it's not going to magically happen is what I'm trying to say. I don't want to be too glib about that. You know, there, there, there has to be a world in which, uh, the, these people can survive this and 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 not go bankrupt, frankly. Um, but to leave that aside, yes, I think it's obvious. I mean, the cruelest thing about this, aside, not the cruelest thing, the cruelest thing beneath the level of, of, of those who have been affected, you know, their health has been affected. The cruelest thing for those of us who are lucky enough to just be in quarantine is being denied that social interaction. Um, and... Um, and I think that it will certainly come back, um, you know, and I think it'll come back for anniversaries and Valentine's Day and birthdays, too, not just, on a, you know, subsistence level or not just on a lower level. I mean, I, I, I make fun of the, the, this fixation on the white tablecloth because it's, it seems it's a little outdated, really. You know, people talk about fine dining being dead because they don't see this, this French thing anymore, right? You know, or there's a white tablecloth and this very old sort of outmoded 
version of what fine dining means. But but people still want to get together and to celebrate those moments, and they want to. And and frankly, it's a it's a beautiful art form, fine dining or higher in um, cooking. I think that that will live on in some ways. It would be really nice if it was in systems that were kinder to the people who make it possible, the dishwashers and the chefs and the and the line cooks and the busboys and the waiters. But I do think that we will see some version of that again in the future, for sure. Right. I mean, I, I didn't mean to shortchange all uh, that needs to happen, you know, to make it economically feasible when we're through this for folks to, to, to jump back in and the enormous impact on everybody in the restaurant ecosystem, uh, their ability to, to get back in, you know, everybody that, that contributes to the, the, the living, breathing thing that is a restaurant and, you know, where those people are going to be when we're, when we're all, you know, sort of back able to get into restaurants again, that kind of thing, but it will happen. Right. I mean, we, we, we know it's going to happen. We just don't know how. I mean, Dave Chang, our pal, pretty early on talked about the resiliency and the resourcefulness of restaurants. Nobody has, knows how to make make shit work out of nothing better than than restaurateurs. And, and again, everybody that's kind of in that ecosystem. And that's the aspect of it that I was trying to comment on. But I appreciate, you know, talking it through with you and sort of getting the nuance correct. Yeah, I just I, I didn't suggest that you were doing but for instance, Dave Dave has been a great advocate, I think, for, you know, um the this the current measures aren't good for restaurants and they're not, you know, creating a situation that's going to allow people to come back easily. So that's I just wanted to make sure we, we touched a little on that. But I uh, you know and, and again it's not really my my area of expertise, but I think that it should you know we should all be advocating for that if we ever want to get back to the places we love. That's right. And and it's 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 well placed and, and, and appreciated. So let's go ahead and go a little bit on on the journey with you. If if let's let's go ahead and be indulgent for, for just a little bit if we can. I wanna start with you do this. I feel like it's a it's a favor just to me. You you nail down one dish and you say this is the most thrilling thing that I ate. And this year it was an eggplant curry at a restaurant in San Francisco called Nari. And you put in here that you're allergic to eggplant. I know. So what the that's, hell? That's, that's just, I'm allergic to eggplant, but it was still the most wonderful, exciting thing I ate all this whole time. It's, 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 and I don't even, I don't even, not only am I allergic to it, I don't, I'm kind of not into eggplant, even just, you know, it's a little mushy and it's a little slimy. This is just this incredible Asian eggplant with like a, a, a crust on it. Um, it. I'm not making it sound very good already because the crust is a word some people don't like. But it's it's, it's like sort of crunchy, like almost like a salt baked sweet potato in a curry covered in shallots and and this kind of delicious fermented um, uh, like fish paste. And every bite is both like thirty different textures, thirty different flavors. It's salty. It's sweet. It's it's, you know, you're in this sort of elegant place in San Francisco, and it just feels like you're, you know, kind of made into an animal by this eggplant, or I did. And, uh, yeah, I, I think he's selling it. I just saw somewhere online, you know, that, that they're actually doing takeout with that eggplant, and I swear they would be worth trying to get to San Francisco just to try that again. Let me start with the fundamental question. How did you eat it? 
You know, what would you take Benadryl? Like, what are you doing? I'm sorry. I, I, I'm allergic. I, my, my, I get a little itchy. I'm, I'm okay. I like, the oh, more, you have a sensitivity. Uh, I got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, my, my, depending on how well it's cooked, if, it, if it's closer, if it's not cooked well enough, my lips will swell up and I'll get like slightly, uh, you know, a, a slightly swollen throat, but nothing that's like deadly. So I, it is a sensitivity. Exactly. I, I, and I'll put up with it for this. I'm just like, I get, I get uncomfortable. Well, part of that, I mean, it's kind of your job. So trying it and having your own discomfort as long as you're certain that it's going to be mild. All right. that that Now I feel yeah, better. I do it for you, basically. I, I'm willing to take that bullet for you. <laughs> That's, I mean, this is this is exactly why I wanted to uh, convey my uh, appreciation. The the um, other dish, and, and maybe it's because of, of the picture, um, but the next place I want to go with you is Indonesian Chinese in... Portland, Oregon. Yeah, Gado Gado. Gado Gado, right. So there is a yeah. a huge full page picture of this lobster dish, and and everybody's crab. you know s- surrounding it. Oh, I'm sorry, it's crab. Yeah. Well, the reason that I thought it was lobster is because there's a person in the picture with a lobster uh, uh, bib on. But sure, it's a big mass of noodles. There is an, a reddish seafood on top that could be anything. And the whole plate is, I mean, the whole table is covered with accompaniments, including this bread that you shout out, this pandan glazed bread that honestly looks to me in the picture, like French toast. It's sort of, it's sort of puffy like that. It's not, it's not French toast, but yeah, I can see how you can do that. Yeah. This is like the perfect, you know, I'll tell you, this is is exactly the kind of, we, we chose this picture or they chose this picture, you know, before this pandemic, obviously, but it's it's exactly this kind of like feasting meal that I miss the most right now, you know, where you've got a table surrounded with people and everybody's reaching into the center. There's this incredible Dungeness crab in the middle and this bread that's kind of perfect, you know, this absolutely perfect, like it's like a cartoon piece, you know, loaf of bread that they slice into these, into, into these, for instance, like squares or triangles and everybody's reaching and grabbing and you're sort of, your fingers are messy and your mouth is messy. And I, I don't know, maybe that doesn't sound good to some people, but to me, that's exactly the kind of feast that I'm missing right now. And it's another example of why Portland is such an amazing place that like somebody opened this place and, and they're packed and they can do this, these incredible feasts. And there's a massive, massive appetite for it. It's, it's wonderful. It's very, it's like being at a Chinese banquet spliced with like a psychedelic, you know, go, go bar. How's that? It, <laughs> it's, I, I, I absolutely <laughs> love it. I'm, I'm dying to get there. You're making me crazy. Leaving this stuff back to me. Right. The point you just made about sort of the, the communal aspect of it and that, that feasting, it's funny, the, the restaurants that left off the page to me and reading through, you know, the overview of, of what you encountered the other one that really jumped off the page was Dip 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 in yeah. in Austin. Uh, dip 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 Tatsuya, uh, which is a shabu shabu joint in, in Texas. Because you know why the hell not? On and it's Austin, so every, everything's funky in Austin. But again, like that feasting idea, the 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 multiplicity of of accompaniments and sides and vegetables, and then you tell them the protein, but you can do. A whole variety of different proteins. Um, describe 
if you will, a little bit of your experience at Dip Dip Dip. Yeah, this is just in a mini mall, basically, in North Austin. And you have no idea. You walk in through the door and you're all of a sudden in this like space-aged kind of office is what it feels like because every table, every seat is this sort of almost like a little Japanese toilet with lots of little buttons and, and compartments. And, and you sit down and you've got shelves and you've got a little egg timer and people are walking around, passing out, you know, shabu shabu, you cook your own in a bowl of broth. So it's this, you know, you've got the, uh, a burner in front of you and a bubbling thing of broth and they just keep coming by with carts, bringing you, you know, dumplings to put in there and vegetables. And, and it's kind of stressful because you're always figuring out, you know, you have to time everything just right. You've got Wagyu beef that takes 15 seconds and pork that takes 32 seconds or whatever it is. It's like, You've just taken a vacation, you know, on the holodeck and, and you know, in, in, on Mars or something like that. I'm mixing up metaphors again. But um, it's, uh, it's a totally transported place and exactly the kind of place that you just can't get outside of being in that in that space. I was also taken by the nod to the reasonably priced tasting menu. You have a couple entrants that I think sort of fit that um, description. There's a place in your hometown, uh, San Germain, as I say that right? Yeah, that's right. And then uh, a place, I think, in, in Los Angeles. Am I remembering it correctly? There's a, yeah, there is. Now, that's, that's Auburn, which is the first of the restaurants that is, uh, is closed now, but, um, but was doing that. It was a sort of choose-your-own-adventure tasting menu where you could choose uh, three or six or nine courses, and it was terrific. And I, uh, they just decided they couldn't. They couldn't figure out a path back, unfortunately. But uh, and I think there was another. There was a place in Seattle called Bai K, which was a kind of sushi omakase that was only thirty dollars with hand roll. That that also kind of fits into that into that category. Um, you know, the, the tasting menu. We were talking about fine dining before. You know, if there's something that has replaced this white tablecloth, it's this. It was this very high end conceptual long sort of grueling, you know, um, chef-driven tasting menu, which is now something that you can find in almost every city. And it can be absolutely wonderful, although it's not my favorite way to dine. I've had extraordinary experiences like that. But what you've seen in recent years, which is great, is is all of that creativity and all of the kind of autonomy of the chef that that, that allowed with more modest size. You know, you don't have to take five hours. You don't have to spend $250 a person four courses this place in 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 new orleans st germain there's three guys who grew who came up through real fine dining opened up this place in an old pizzeria they didn't even change the 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 sign and they do just crazy fermented wonderful like you know incredibly creative stuff for 60 bucks and you know four or five courses that they'll come out and, and explain it's got all of the benefits of these of these tasting menus without so much of the, the production, you know, and I, I love it. I think that's a great way forward for chefs to, to be, you know, artists um, without it being limited to only the very richest people who have a whole night to, to spend on this thing. Yeah. And I, that's, that's why I, I was happy to, to see your description of it and make sure that we talked about it and gives us something to hope for when, when we're on the other side of this thing, there's one more place that I, I want to talk about. Um, be, be, for a couple of reasons. Um, the, the first is, uh, you know, that it's, it's a, uh, unexpected 
community. I don't I don't know how well folks know of the Middle Eastern community in Detroit and its long tr- tradition there. Um, but I'm I'm interested. I want to talk about Layla in Detroit because it is the offshoot of an outstanding Middle Eastern restaurant that's been in Detroit for, you know, 50 years or so. Um, and there's some elements of the experience there that you talk about that um, I think are kind of the right notes to hit for the conversation. Tell folks about Layla. Yeah, I will. I mean, you're right. Phoenicia is, you know, uh, so first of all, Detroit has, I believe, the largest Arab population in America, or, or very close to it, outside, mostly in Dearborn um, and surrounding suburbs. And, you know, it's one of my favorite things in the world to just go eat, driving around there, just eating at Lebanese, Iraqi, uh, you know, and, and, and other Middle Eastern restaurants. And and here I've been saying how wonderful it is to have, you know, Laotian in, in BC or, or Indonesian in Portland. One of the wonderful things about Layla is that it feels very much of Detroit, you know, too. So Phoenicia was one of the very first Lebanese fine dining restaurants. It's been open, as you said, uh, close to 50 years, I think. Um, and this is the son of, um, of the owners of that place on Phoenicia. And they opened right downtown in a place where, you know, only 10 years ago or five years ago, there was nothing in downtown Detroit. And this, it has all of the sense of hospitality and comfort and love and um, and just joy that you get from a family cooking their food for their community while it's also you know it feels it's young and modern and it's it's got it's almost a little clubby it's got you know the the joke is that it's got Layla playing in the in the bathrooms because it's a uh, because you know of its name it's, even though it's not spelled like that um, but it 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 really does epitomize to me sort of the best of all of these different strands um, coming together and finding its audience. I, I would love to, you know, I would, I would love to eat there today. See, that's the note. And I'm going to let you go here in, in a second, but you write about comfort, the community, the generosity, and you use the word restoration in describing your experience there. And that, I think those are the elements, those are the attributes of what we're hoping to find when we're through this. And, you know, hopefully people behind these restaurants can can find the, the support from the community to open back up in a way that makes sense for them, that they continue uh, with, with to make a livelihood because, you know, our need and desire to get together and be together and have, you know, the, the, um, the these communal, uh, opportunities are, are not diminishing. They're going to be, you know, on cocaine almost, uh, you know, in yeah. terms of how, how frenzied and uh, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but you know, Layla is where I want to eat first. A place like Layla is where I want to go first when, when we're allowed yeah. to get back together in restaurants. Well, I'll meet you there. I agree with you. I, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I can be, I feel like it's a moment to be unabashedly sentimental, but I totally agree with you. You know, it's, it, these are, these are the places that, you know, um, that, uh, you know, are the most, you know, restorative to the human spirit in some ways, you know, um, and the things we are craving now, the things that we are desperately missing, there is no finer invention for giving it to us than a restaurant. That, that makes two of us, my friend. 
The story is available now at GQ.com. I encourage all of you, my hungry homies, my taste buds, get in there and take some time. You don't have to plow through this story. Give yourself a, a full, you know, 20 minutes, a half hour, luxuriate in it a little bit. We are going to be through this. And these are the places we were hoping will be there for us on the other side. And, and you know, what we're ready, willing and able to, to get back in to those spaces for the experiences again. Brett Martin, thanks for coming on uh, again, my friend. Thank you always. Be safe, okay? You, you do the same. We'll talk soon. All right, my culinary comrades, there we go. My enormous thanks to Brett Martin, as always. Cannot recommend his story enough. Do like we were talking about. Go ahead and give yourself a half hour. Take a look at the pictures. Go ahead and let yourself just go over to, to Portland, Oregon, or go ahead and, and, and let yourself put your mind's eye in New Orleans or Austin, Texas, and think about these restaurants and the experiences. Uh, very, very uh, nice way to spend a little bit of time thinking about that restaurant life, both before and after the pandemic. My taste buds, we're back next week. We're working on a couple of hungry homies. We have some uh, 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 insight on some cooking from home angles, and we also have some some upcoming podcast chats on the deep dives into the TV. And by TV, I mean Netflix, uh, cable TV, YouTube's, all of the ways that we can catch food on the digital medium. Those are our shows coming up. Won't you join us, my taste buds? Until next time, let's stay hungry out there. <laughs> <laughs>